Welcome to The Clappers. This is Andrew Young. And this is Carl Quinn. In this episode of The Clappers, Matrix by Lauren Groff. The Last Duel by Ridley Scott. Lockdown, be gone. And Succession. We're out of lockdown. Uh, It's noticeable, is it not, that we are out of lockdown? How long did it take you to get out on the streets and uh, sample our uh, our rediscovered freedom? Oh, longer than longer than I would have liked. Uh, A couple of reasons. Days. Yeah, days. Right. A lot of things were, as you know, my, my, my particular interest is going and seeing live events, live music especially, but also art galleries, theatre and so on. And the restrictions on patrons to 20 has meant that almost the moment anything is announced, it's gone. So by the time I can even find out if it's my turn to go out that, that night or what have mm. you, uh, it's too late. And so I, I missed out, uh, for want of a better phrase, on tickets to a couple of things that I would have really liked to have gone to. I did manage to go out to a very small kind of low-key uh, cocktail thing at a cinema in Thornbury. Was that at Thornbury Picture House? It was the Thornbury Picture House, indeed. A lovely little venue, that. It's Sweet, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. It's great. And nice, <laughs> nice sort of bar area out the front where mm. once upon a time people would have gone to fill up the fill up the tank. Exactly, mm. exactly. It's a nice, a nice repurposing mm. of, of a petrol station. Yep. Yeah. So, so I've not been able to throw myself in as hedonistically as I imagine you have with your special pass that allows you entry into every place in Christendom. Mm. We we opened up officially at midnight, uh, you know, on a Thursday. I, w- I was asked to go out and write about it. And uh, so I was at a hairdressing salon on, on Turak Road in South Yarra and where they were giving away, they'd run it like a competition and five people got whatever they wanted, treatments at Ooh. midnight. And, uh, and they so were, did they pay? No, no, free. They, you know, they got a golden ticket, like Ooh. literally got a golden ticket. Nice. And then wandered down to Chapel Street to see, oh, I wonder if there's anything going on. The Doofmobiles up and down the street doing chap laps. They were like, boom, 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 boom. It was like, it's, it's, it took, you know what, less than 10 minutes for it all to come back. Almost the full horror of Chapel Street <laughs> late at night. Went into the city and ended up at a at a you know, a couple of places, went to a restaurant where people were having bowls of pasta at one thirty in the morning and ended up in this bar at like two-ish and, and there were people talking really loudly to be heard above the rock and roll that was playing on the sound system as I were ordering the drinks and I teared up. I kind <gasps> no. of, I just no. realised. Yeah, I did, I did. I just went, I you know, this isn't what I spend my, my life doing these days, but at some crying level, I, I, you know, no, you're crying in bars. <laughs> you really don't spend your life doing. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, all right. So it is what I spend my life doing. But, but I just, I just kind of suddenly had this an immense sense of like, oh my god, I've missed this. I've missed like being in a bar with a bunch of strangers talking above loud music mm. and there's just something I don't know. It just felt so alive. Yes. Uh, I mean, you know. And, Whatever, I just, I just really did feel incredibly moved to be able to do that again. Slightly terrified, mm-hmm. you know. I, I felt this surge of 
optimism, I think, that I haven't felt much of for the past two years. And it was a really nice feeling. Yeah, yeah. I th- and then I got home at about three and I spent two and a half hours writing. <laughs> so well, no, I think, I, mate, that's... I went to bed about 5.30 and I thought, when did I last yeah. stay up till 5.30 without a single, not, not a drink, nothing to ease the pain? Some journalist you are, would it be looking to you to liberate the writs from the yeah, I know. Germans in Paris in 1944? No, no. You'll be the last one on the list coming in. <laughs> <laughs> but you will, you will be glad to know, though, that on Saturday night we had had friends over for dinner for the first time, you know, since we came back. And uh, I was a few uh, a few drinks in when I got the call, and I went. I answered from work, and I went, "Who's died?" And of course, it was Bert Newton. So, so I I did have to work. And I was a few sheets to the wind. I did feel like, oh, now I'm a real journalist, finally. Now um, it's happened. I'm working pissed. <laughs> the people have come out of the woodwork, haven't they, to talk about how much they like Bert Newton, how they love him and how they miss him and, and what a, a friendly gent he was. I'm sure there are other sides to Bert Newton that have not surfaced in um, the the, there are. Uh, the tributes. There are. Um, but, but it is, yes. you know, it is generally, I think... Uh, you know, there's a there's a period in which let's just say the things that you know. Let, let's not speak ill of the dead. Basically, you know, there is a, a, a sort of a, a moratorium, uh, <laughs> for want of a better word, um, in the immediate uh, um, you know wake of somebody's passing, and uh, and then maybe more sober um, assessments can can surface a little later on. And you are the man for the more sober assessment. On, on yeah. the on the Thursday night, I was a sober judge on uh, on Saturday. Lesser, so, um, have you read his autobiography? No, I haven't. No, no, no. I have. No. And I have read his autobiography. Oh, thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah. And I tell you, one of the things that I enjoy most about it, uh, he's of the same generation as my dad, who I hope I'm not um, revealing anything particularly private, when I say left school two weeks after his 15th birthday Mm. and started working in an advertising agency and going to art school at night. And people who were born in men, especially born in the 1930s, had that opportunity, if you could call it an opportunity, to start their life that way. Mm. Bert Newton was 15 or 16 was and he's on the radio. When he broad- was school and, 14. Yeah, yeah. yeah broadcasting. Yeah. You know, there were young men were men very quickly yeah. in those days and it allowed an opportunity to learn and work and progress and be successful that we... We don't live in those times anymore. Well, you need a double degree to get a job as a janitor now. So reading a, a book about somebody like that who grew up in that time, I read it about 20, 30 years ago. It's really interesting, especially all the local North Fitzroy, Fitzroy stuff and mm. the early radio stuff I found especially interesting. He talks about his uh, LSD journey um, where he had to, he was in some f- uh, institution and, and took it for, you know, medical purposes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just, it was a really enjoyable book and you'll probably see them on uh, charity shop shelves next time you go into a charity shop where you get your jackets and you should pick it up. Five bucks, ten bucks. It's really enjoyable and worth reading. We go. You're not really, you promise you're not doing anything funny? Pardon? No, not for years. Patty can barge for that, I can tell you that. <laughs> Carl, I've been thinking about this for weeks. 
and you. I've been thinking about you and the question I'm about to ask you for, for two weeks, I reckon, maybe more, but time is odd at the moment, as everyone agrees. Nuns, Carl. Nuns. Nuns? Yep. Oh, dear God. You've triggered me. I'm a 10-year-old primary school student. Sister Rosita is standing behind me, pummeling my skull with her fist. There you are. See, for most people in... Uh, nun uh-huh. is code for cruelty. Can you stop saying it? <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a it's a watchword. It's a touchstone. It's a cliche for nasty abuse of mm. power and cruelty. Mm. Uh, and and I have no experience of nuns. Can I just say the sisters of Show No Mercy were a big part of my childhood. And I think this comes across with weird peccadilloes <laughs> that that uh, expose themselves throughout uh, the years we've been doing this podcast. It's clear that you're a man who has been shaped by nuns. I I discovered a book, a novel that I never expected to read. I thought, I'm just going to read the first page of this book and then that's it. It's called Matrix by Lauren Groff. It's a novel about a nun in a way. She's a young woman, a 17-year-old girl called Marie, who uh, loses her family and pretends that that she's that they're still there by managing her family's estate. She's high-born, but they discover and that she is actually just a young girl. And, and girls in France in the uh, Middle Ages were not allowed to manage estates for the 12th century, so she is sent to England. And she is made very self-conscious of the fact that she's very tall, she is not feminine, she is not beautiful, and she is sensed to become not an abbess but a prioress. And that's where she spends the rest of her life, at the Abbey. And it is a relentless, fast-paced, present-tense romp through England of that time and the roles for women as uh, heiresses or not heiresses, as nobility, not nobility. And it was just a book I could not put down. It was full of rage, excitement, sauciness. Sauciness. There were surprises there. And the sauciness is one of the surprises. Eleanor of Aquitaine, the, the the bride and queen of Henry II features heavily in this book. Uh, Marie, who who rises from prioress to mm. abbess, is in love with Eleanor of Aquitaine. It's kind of a schoolgirl, childish uh, infatuation, not not a, a full-grown adult womanly love. Sounds a bit like St Trinian's crossed with Name of the Rose. For some, there may even be elements of Game of Thrones in this book. There are, there are sections of, of violence and humiliation and degradation uh, power. Wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a story about nuns without that stuff. <laughs> exactly. This is about one particular nun who has doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in the Virgin Mary. They, they prayed a lot to the Virgin Mary in those days, a little less than to the Trinity. It was mainly a, a Virgin Mary cult for reasons that will reveal themselves in the book very subtly. She does find faith and belief. Matrix is not Latin for mother, as you would know, of course, but she does describe Eve and the Virgin uh, using the word matrix, which is which is odd. And I've not I've I've only done a, a real scant little look around, see what other people are saying, and I've not found any real information about that. Lauren Groff is a well-known uh, uh, Floridian. She lives in Florida and has uh, written. Uh, successful novels in the past that have made it to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. This is uh, such an exciting book. I can't tell you because it's the last thing in the world that I would expect to find exciting, a book of female imprisonment, if you will, uh, about 
a 17-year-old and you go right through to the end of her life, she dies probably in her 70s or something. Oh, you've just ruined it now. Yeah, sorry, man, but it is exciting and it is fascinating. If you've never read a book about nuns, a novel about nuns, <laughs> and you've maybe held back, maybe you've thought it wasn't for you, maybe you thought, you man... If, you, if you're in that small subcategory yes. of people mm. who've never read a novel yes. about nuns. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Me, yeah. me, yeah, yeah. me. I've always been in the minority, <laughs> rejoicing in the minority, and I've stayed in the minority, but now I think I'm part of the mainstream because I mm. have finally read a novel about nuns and about their lives, And but I, I'm, I think I'm ready for a whole new world of literary uh, excitement. I've read a lot of novels lately and a lot of non-fiction, and this is one that's just right at the top of the list for me, especially it's breathless first person. It's like in a hurry. It's a long book, but, man, it gets a lot. It's a bit like James Elroy or, or Damon Runyon, especially if it is just uh, like a train without brakes hurtling down a mountainside. Habit-forming. Ooh, like it. There is only one question that matters. Do you swear on your life that what you say is true? I was a good wife. And then was judged and shamed by my country. I say before all of you, I spoke the truth. I request a duel to the death. If you lose, your wife will suffer dire consequences. One of us has lied. Let us let God decide. Andrew, one of the first things I did with my freedom yes. was yes. to go and see a movie in a cinema. No. I went to see The Last Jewel, the Ridley Scott film. How interesting. Mm. Um, that is one of the most uh, f- famous uh, legal duels that ever there was. The last, did they call it a parliamentary? No, a judicial duel. Mm-hmm. For listeners who know nothing about it, it's a new film by Ridley Scott. It stars Adam Driver, um, Matt Damon and Jodie Comer, who people may know from uh, Killing Eve. There is another star that you are deliberately oh, ben Affleck, missing, of course, I believe. Sorry, yes. who, uh, I've got to say, for the first five minutes he was on screen, I was going, that guy looks so familiar, but who is he? Who is he? Who is this strange, blondie, kind of weird-looking dude? Set in the Middle Ages, it opens in 1386 and then flashes back to 1370 and traces a series of events that lead up to 1386. The opening scene is basically two, uh, two knights on horseback uh, jousting. Um, charging mm-hmm. at each other, and uh, it is a it is a fight to the death, and um, yeah. then it's it sort of scrolls back from there to show how we got there, and how we got there is basically that uh, a man called Jean de, Ru- Jean de Carouge, um is married to Marguerite, and um, he is a he's a he's a professional soldier. Basically, he's a he's a knight. He goes off and fights battles, and then comes back and collects his rent from his his um, his peasant tenants, and and um, and then keeps a portion of that, and then forwards a portion of that to the local count, um, who is played by Affleck. Post one of these one of these uh, you know sojourns for battle he's going he's gone to paris to collect uh his the money that's owing to him and while he's away this squire played by adam driver rapes marguerite she tells him she tells her husband what's happened and uh, through you know a lengthy process of how do we how do we prosecute this and we prosecute this by appealing to the court in paris based or by by court i mean the the kingly court the, in, the king's, the king's court, court, court not a, that's right not yes. a judicial and, court yeah. um, and the story is told 
three times, it's sort of Rashomon style. It's told the Jean de Carouge uh, story, then it's told from the perspective of Jacques Legree, the Adam Driver character, and then it's told uh, from the perspective of Marguerite, the Jodie Comer character. And each one begins with a title card that says, The Truth According To... And mm. you get that version of it. And the, and then the final one says the truth according to Marguerite de Carouge. Uh, and then it fades away and just leaves the words the truth on screen. And this is a real, like, a, I think a really important uh, kind of structuring device. And I, I suppose it gives the film an out. And I wonder whether, whether when it was originally conceived, that was always the intention or whether that's something that developed over the, the process of, of maybe making it here. and testing it. Because without that sort of lingering the truth, you are left with a, uh, it's a he says, she says story. Who knows what really happened, right? And, mm. and I think there's a sort of um, a prevarication about that that is, would be hugely problematic. So, it's kind of astute. Um, it's maybe a slight cheat in some respects. Ultimately, the, the way the, the truth of the claim is tested is in the duel. It, it is, it is to, uh, to ascertain God's will. If she's lying... If she's lying, yeah, Legree, Legree wins. wins. And if she's telling the truth, her husband, Jean de Carouge, That's correct. Wins. And it's, it's a kind of... It's a fascinating way to sort of test the validity of a, of, a, of a case. And I guess, though, there is some kind of element of that still lingers in the modern judicial system, swearing on the Bible and so on. There's a kind of God is, as God is my witness kind of element to this in some vague kind of background way. It's really quite fascinating, but it's a bloody, brutal film full is of battle good? scenes. It, yes! It, <laughs> full of really intense battle scenes, reminiscent, I think, in their style of, of the Battle of the Bastards in, in uh, Season 6 of Game of Thrones, which I, I think, you know, really captures a sort of sense of how grimy and heavy and um, random, I think, you know, warfare might have been in the Middle Ages. You know, it's just like it's mud and slush and heavy yeah, swords. and you heavy armour not being and you're covered in much. mud. Yeah, exactly. So, You've got dysentery, yeah. so your bowels are just <laughs> emptying constantly. And you've right. got malaria yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, and you're bleeding and you're probably infected from one of your wounds. I mean, yeah. it's just the worst way to... Of fight yeah. that you could conceive of. Unlike the hoplites who fought in the nude when we go back to ancient Greece, the greatest way to fight. And they were very clean too, those hoplites. No mud for them. I'm glad that it's a, it's an uh, exciting film. It's, you're making it sound like an exciting film. I've been reading about this for years now. Uh, by the Sword by, I think, Richard Cohen is all about duels and sword making and sword play. Talks about this. And other uh, chronicles that are of this particular Particular, uh, duel and these protagonists really paint Carouge, if I can call him Carouge for short, uh, as a man with a giant chip on his shoulder who feels that he has entitled to a lot more than he, ha than he actually has in the way of land and honours and entitlements and is a cranky bastard. Well, I think you definitely get a sense of that here. Um, yeah. And, and, I mean, it's because each one of these three tellings is uh, subjective, mm -hmm. you get... In, in the first one it is Carouge's story and mm -hmm. he 
paints he paints himself as a man of honor of decency who loves his wife and treats her well um has been nothing but supportive to jacques legree saved his life in battle in fact and um and you get this telling and that's that establishes you know, uh, a picture. And because it's the first, it necessarily, I think, kind of informs your sort of sympathies to a degree. And then uh, Legree's version comes next and it paints Mm -hmm. an entirely different picture. But it really is Marguerite's version that... I, I, look, you'd have to say it rings most true. Whether whether that the truth at the beginning of it is an entirely comfortable way. I mean, I think it's necessary, mm. but it does feel a little bit like, you know, uh, it's authorial voice uh, intervention is what it yeah. is. You know, yep, whereas yep, yep. what you've had up until that point is, you know, competing subjective narratives. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting dilemma and it's not one that I think is easy to resolve. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it, but it is, I do wonder whether it was a late decision or whether it was always intended that they would do that. Um, you know, the three, the three stories are, are written. The first one I think is written by Matt Damon. The second one is, is written by Ben Affleck. And then the third one is written by Nicole Holofcena. And uh, it's, you know, very, very interesting structural approach. Um, but you've really got these, I mean, as well as those three narratives, you've got these two very different kind of stories going on. One is a sort of like a, you know, a sort of almost like a procedural kind of thing, what happened, you know? And and the other thing is like just this many yeah. battles, endless battles over and over again, which are quite brilliantly staged, I have to say. Well, that's all I want. That's all I want to see in a film. All I want, and I ask this every single time, are there men on horseback? Is there sword fighting? And Ridley Scott... He doesn't disappoint me in this score. Now, one of the very first films that I got out from the video shop when when we first got our video recorder back in 1982 is a film called The Duelists, mm. which is by made by Ridley Scott. It's it, it's, it's his had, first feature, I think. It enjoys the dubious honour of being the only film that Bill Collins, the Golden Years of Hollywood, Bill Collins walked out of. <laughs> Which makes me like, I love Bill Collins. I wrote him a letter when I was in grade six. Uh, I'll reveal the contents of that letter to you uh, in private one day. But <laughs> the the film The Duelist is great. It's got Harvey Keitel and Keith Carradine as French hussars, <laughs> which you might find strange, and it is kind of strange, but it works. It's dirty and grim and muddy and cold, and then uh, soldiers in the Napoleonic era. Uh, Keith Carradine has to deliver a message to Harvey Keitel, who chooses to take offence. He challenges him to a duel that never actually gets finished. So over the next two hours or more, they keep meeting up on strange battlefields and having to enact this duel that honour demands that be completed. And it is great. It is just great. I have my own copy of it that I can watch anytime I want in its plastic case. And if you really, really want to see this film, the last duel, then I reckon you need to watch The Duelists first just to really get a sense of what it's like to be a lusty man on a foaming steed with a 
hot blade in your right hand. Well, I'm going to say that uh, while that may be something you enjoy doing, I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> I think you can just go right along Are and watch the last Are you duel. saying that anybody could just walk into that film without Apparently. having read By the Sword by Richard Cohen, without having watched The Duelists, without you, having you read don't, uh, You don't need Agent to show, or you the don't need to show that you're double prepped in order to go in and watch <laughs> The Juliet Last Duel. Barker. You can just buy a ticket and you can just go in there and go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, I mean, Ridley you Scott. I've got to say, hook. you really no, do yeah, let I, people off the hook. I'm a generous man. I've got to say, Ridley Scott is mm. so ridiculously prolific, like insanely mm-hmm. prolific. That mm-hmm. I, I, you know, he's he's credited as director. He's got 56. Um, you know, titles. Some of those are TV. The majority of them are movies. Yeah. There's a new season of Raised by Wolves coming. Um, Last Duel is is out now. House of Gucci is not very far away. There's another alien movie in the works. Mm. There's a, a Gladiator sequel. No, there isn't. <laughs> there, really? More, more, me, more men there not is. on horseback, but with swords. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and these are just the ones that he's directing, right? So his producing <laughs> credits, he's got 150 yeah. credits as producer. It's like the guy is, I don't know what he is, he's 76, 77, something like that. He's just He's just going to keep going. He's just going to keep going, and good for him. Well, that's pretty... Look, I think if that's your job, man, you read about uh, actors who've been in heaps of films, you read about musicians who've played on hundreds of records, you think, well, that's what you... You're lucky you're, you have a job, and you're lucky you're good at it, and you're lucky that other people think you are, that you can, you know, because I have to say, not all of these films have been successful by not the all standards them. A lot that, of them that have been, people though, consider them. That's remarkable yeah. in itself. But, I mean, the, the thing is with a film, right? I mean, it's, it's different to, like, let's say you're jazz musician i mean you know those great miles davis albums or whatever Mm. they'd go in they'd record for 18 hours straight that was Mm. it that was the album Mm. you know yeah they're done right you don't do that with a movie you don't go in and film for 18 hours and then you're done Oh, okay. Lock. Let's talk about Lock. That was uh, just one, one, one go up the road, <laughs> one, one go down the road. That was it. Love that film, Lock. Uh, I really love. I love these Welsh accents as well. We need to have more I'll men and it. women with Welsh I'll accents. Fix it. <laughs> People don't know what we're talking about. It's a film about a man in a car Tom Hardy. who drives up the motorway. Tom Hardy, and his name is Lock. It's one of, and his, he's on the one phone. of the few films he's made without wearing some sort of mask yeah. over his face. And I will say without a silly voice. Look, I'm so glad you saw Last Duel. I really, really want to see it. Uh, as weird as the hairstyles and beards are, uh, I'm I'm really keen to see it just because of the men on horseback, the sword fighting, and, of course, the, the, relate, the tenuous relationship to Ridley Scott's first film, The Duelists. I know that you are particularly intellectually aroused by a television program that only those who subscribe to the 20th Century Fox type uh, streaming service can watch. Yeah. Uh, You're talking about Succession. I'm talking about Succession. I love Succession. Season three picks up immediately after um, season two ends. Mm-hmm. It's about a media family with an ageing patriarch who clearly is 
you know, he's nearing the end of his tenure. Uh, he has four kids, three of whom are born to the same mother and are really jostling for the right to take over the company, hence the title succession. There's a fourth who is from his first marriage or an earlier marriage who he's like, he's going to settle for the consolation prize of maybe being president of the United States. Mm. And uh, so it's really about the scheming and the political manoeuvrings and positionings and, and, and increasingly in season three, the business dealings to facilitate whatever comes next. And uh, I, I, I've got to say, I thought the first few episodes of season three were, for, for anybody who has low tolerance of business dealings and shenanigans, voting blocks in you know shareholder meetings and whatever, might have been pretty hard going at times. Um, I, I enjoyed it, but I think some people may have may struggle with it um i've seen the first seven episodes and i've got to say the seventh episode which revolves around kendall's birthday party sorry did you say the seventh yeah i've seen up to the seventh yes oh yeah no one else can yeah, yeah, Everyone's, yeah. everyone's stuck You'll at episode there. three <laughs> let oh. me just say that that seventh episode oh. If you if you're finding it hard going in the first few episodes, stick with it because there, it is just it is just magnificent, magnificent. So, how are you finding it, Andrew? This season, it's not breaking any new ground for me. It's it's almost more of the same, the same mm. bickering and the same mm. uh, false alliances being made between brothers and sisters and father, and and especially between their senior employees who who uh, senior management employees who one minute are being humiliated and castigated and on the other being given enormous positions of responsibility okay let mm. me say straight out I actually don't care who ends up being the head of Waystar Royco okay whether it's Kendall whether it's Siobhan whether it's that weird creepy whiny guy uh, I, I Tom? No, <laughs> good answer. Oh, well, you good mean answer. Greg? You no, mean cousin no, Greg? I mean, what's the other brother's name? You're talking about Roman. Roman. I, yeah, I don't. I don't. Kieran I, Culkin's I frankly character. don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and and, and yeah. speaking from a posi- from from your your point before about if you're really into business and strategies and planning meetings and and yeah, share by base. Mm. Um, I've yet to see. I've yet to see a proposal from any one of those three that suggests anything that would make them fit to run this giant conglomerate of cruise ships, <laughs> uh, uh, fun parks, TV stations. None of them have said anything that makes makes them sound like that they are equipped. The, the patriarch himself, all he does is tell people to f off. He hasn't really shown much acumen either. I am trying to keep this a, a podcast that people can listen to in their motor cars with. Their children, so uh, forgive me for the fake swearing. I think, um, I mean, what you say there about like the, the lack of strategy for running a business. I think, in a sense, that's absolutely true. There, there are occasional moments where they 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 make some sort of gesture towards you know innovating and embracing the new digital you know reality of of the media landscape and all that sort mm. of stuff. There's a bit of that, but really that's not the focus. The focus is control. Well, I'm aware, and, and I'm aware, and I, and, and I don't and, mind. I'm, I'm not like I'm not saying that makes it a bad TV show that they haven't no, no, given no, us no, a good. I'm just yeah. saying that it's not a, it's not a show. Um, and this is written. I'm, I know you mm. know this, but this is for anybody who's not been you know glued to every moment of, of it. 
it is not a show about the media. No, <laughs> it's a show it's about control show about and control, inheritance and power. And uh, I mean, it's I, look, you know, when I when I reviewed the first season of it, which seems like an eternity ago now, and I, I came to it late. It just sort of like it suddenly was there, and and I didn't know anything about it, and I stumbled upon it. And went, oh my god, this show is amazing! It was. I, I thought it's like Game of Thrones, but without the without the overt mm. bloodshed, it's all more emotional, sort of you know, mutilation going on. You can on. say it's like and Shakespeare without the interesting well, drama it is, and it characters. Absolutely is. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. Um, it really is about people um, cutting and thrusting and damaging each other. I think in all kinds of subtle mm-hmm. ways to gain, uh, you know, to get to get. The hand, as as George Costanza famously put it, my money is on cousin Greg to take over. God, what a I, what a twist! Because what a twist! Because he's no less stupid than anybody else. Yeah, he's monumentally <laughs> he's most, stupid, but he's also crafty. He's a bit like the fool in King Lear, cunning. if you like. He doesn't have inherited wealth in the way that well, he kind of has it, and it's been taken away from him. Um, he he's. Is hungry in the way that the others aren't. The others are just entitled, mm-hmm. um, and he's cunning. He's morally compliant. Um, he's morally elastic. <laughs> elastic, <laughs> yeah. So, in ridiculous as cousin Greg is, and the butt of so many jokes and all the rest of it, I actually, I, I've got my money on him to ultimately emerge on the, on the throne. Now, what's the actor's my, name? Cousin Greg. Uh, Nicholas Sh- Braun. Nicholas Braun. Braun. Okay, so. He wasn't aware of this, but on social media, apparently, Mm. there are swathes of people who find him tremendously desirable and attractive and are aroused sexually every time the man appears on the screen and opens his mouth, which is a surprise to me, (laughs) but there you go, all right? Yeah. So, a company uh, called Vivid Enterprises has devised a way that one of their products, which is known colloquially as an egg, a product designed to generate vibrating pleasure. Oh, my God. It's a sex toy. So whenever he appears on the screen, a Bluetooth uh, signal gets sent to this device that you are just enjoying, uh, say, uh, off the boil, uh, just enjoying that lukewarm, nice feeling of having this uh, egg being used in its proper purpose, uh, all of a sudden it sets to vibrating the moment Greg opens his mouth or appears on the screen. Oh, and he, uh, he took it well. He didn't know about this. In the Vanity Fair article I read, he was like, well, I suppose... Um, uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he took it in, in, in good spirit. Um, some say that it's not right to make a product that will do something based on an actor's work and so on. You need to ask the actor for permission and if they don't feel too objectified by that. But anyway. Oh, my God. I've just found the Vanity Fair article okay. and it, where it says, uh, we here at Cam Soda wanted Cam to provide Soda. people with an outlet to orgasm to cousin Greg while he graces them with his presence every Sunday evening. So we developed Greg the Egg cast to do just that, turning succession into Sex session. It's very good. Oh, it's, it's fine. And I have to tell you that that I wouldn't. I, I, if you had to ask me which character on that show would produce an object designed to enhance your sexual pleasure, it would. He would be the second last person. I would think. It, he would be last. Well, it would be. Uh, it's his name, Kieran Culkin. Is that his name? 
Roman. Roman. Yeah. yeah. Not because yeah. of how he looks or anything, but just about every time he opens his mouth, you want to go and have a shower. <laughs> I think that's a fair <laughs> Which, which make, makes a person not desirable. In case you're wondering what I mean to um, someone making you feel dirty and like you need to have a shower every time I open their mouth. No, not desirable. Not my thing. Anyway, there's there's lots more. There's lots more in store of him with Succession. They've just announced there's going to be a fourth oh. season. So, oh, um, I, everyone. Was, I thought everyone was being like tantalised at the idea that it's going to end. You're going to know. It's going to be it. Boom. But I would be I would be very disappointed if it were wrapped up at the end of this season. I would like I'd like it to be dangled the, the jewels to be dangled for a lot longer. Yet. So you 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 you'd be into your Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple's those <laughs> seventy books, but you know, one after the other. Maybe not seventy, <laughs> but you know, another season I think is fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll live with that. Thanks for listening to the Clappers. <laughs> <laughs>